This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. Humanism is a progressive worldview that, without supernaturalism, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead meaningful, ethical lives capable of adding to the greater good of humanity. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our staff or board of directors. Today, we are honored to welcome Dr. Lynn Marks over from Victoria. She is a professor of history at the university there who studies Canadian history, women's and gender history, and the social history of religion and irreligion in Canada and, in, and atheism more broadly. Her book here, which she has a couple copies for sale, and if you're interested in, you can give her money after and take one home. I got one from the Vancouver Public Library. I think I got the first copy they got because I put a hold on it before it even came out because I saw this was coming out and it fascinated me. The topic of today and the topic of the book is what was religion and more importantly, what was atheism like in the 1860 to 1914 period of British Columbia? And why is British Columbia different than the rest of Canada when it comes to not believing in God? So please welcome Dr. Marx. Okay, thank you very much. So this thing is working? Yes, okay. So if anyone can't hear me, then just let me know. Thank you very much, Ian, for the introduction and for inviting me. I think Ian invited me a while ago and it's taken a while for it to actually work for me to get over here. So I'm very, very glad to be here. Um, So as Ian mentioned, I'll be talking today about my fairly new book um, that came out last year. And obviously I can't summarize the whole book in 40, 45 minutes, but I will be going over some of the highlights and the main themes. And if you have any questions about any other aspects of the book, let me know. Um, Are there chairs at the back? Okay. So in the late 19th and early 20th century, which is the period of my book, as you know, most of Canada was very Christian. So the ideal was that you attend church every Sunday. If you weren't there every Sunday, you certainly had to put in an appearance on a semi-regular basis if you wanted to be considered respectable, if you wanted to be considered part of any community. So Christian faith at that time was part of how most people understood their worlds. If you were an atheist, if you actually said you had no religion, you could lose your job. If you were a business person, you certainly would lose your customers. It really put you beyond the pale of acceptable society. Now, at the, that was certainly true in central Canada, in Ontario, in Quebec, in the Maritimes. In BC at this time, late 19th, early 20th century, a lot more people went to church than do today, or a high, much higher proportion. So church going was much more common in BC. But what was also going on in BC that I found is that it was more possible to say you were an atheist, to say you were not religious, without being completely ostracized. So at this time, and one way of telling that is you can see that some people were actually brave enough to tell the census taker when they came around that they were an atheist or that they had no religion or that they were an infidel. That was a word that was thrown at atheists, but some of them wore it proudly. So as you can see, 
um, at this, the blue is British Columbia and the orange is the rest of Canada. So the proportion of those who said they were atheists or had no religion was much higher in BC. It still wasn't super high, it was about 2% in BC in this early 20th century, but in the context of in the rest of Canada, practically no one else said they could say they had no religion. So to put it another way, in 1901, BC had 3% of the Canadian population and it had 30% of the people who called themselves atheists. So it was much more common in BC to say you were an atheist. And I'm going to talk a fair bit about who the atheists were, but just at the beginning, at this time in BC, there was a significant population of Asian and Indigenous peoples, but most of the people who were saying they were atheists to the census taker were white settlers, particularly white settler men. So this BC being in the forefront of irreligion was true then, and it remained true over the 20th and into the 21st century. So you can see from this chart I mean, in 1901, 11, and 21, it's fairly low, but as you just saw, it's much higher in BC, and that continues to be the case. The most recent national census data that we have is still 2011, because they didn't collect data on religion in 2016, but... Um, in 2011, 44% of British Columbians said they had no religion versus about 24% across Canada. So the pattern I'm talking about is one that started really with the beginning of BC as a settler colony and has continued, has increased dramatically, but the pattern remains the same today. And there is some data that suggests that that percentage is going way up, both for British, even since then, both for British Columbia and for Canada. There's some data that says that in Victoria now, more than half of the population says they have no religion. I don't know about Vancouver. Okay, so, yes, okay. British Columbians then were more likely to say they were atheists even the ones who didn't say they were atheists were much less likely to go to church than those, than in the rest of Canada. So the most committed people, the most committed Christians, which I'm talking about Christians now, there was a very small Jewish population. There was a small, well, there was a small Asian population that generally followed Asian religions. But I'm talking primarily here about Christians because that was the dominant population at this time. And if you have questions, you can ask me afterwards about other groups. But anyway, so in terms of percentage of communicants, that's the people who actually tended to be in church, who saw themselves as church members, of all adherents, you see again, British Columbia is the blue. So across all the Christian denominations, Anglican, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, and Roman Catholic, Methodist and Presbyterian is now mostly the United Church, but at that time they were separate. You see that the proportion of people who might have called themselves Anglicans, but who actually were communicants, and the same with the others, was the lowest in British Columbia, all across all the churches. So. 
people, even people who called themselves Presbyterians or Methodists in BC were less likely to show up in church. Now, a lot of the church leaders were pretty aware that this was a problem, that people in BC were less religious than in Eastern Canada. So you hear when you read, as I did, some of the church newsletters and reports, there's a lot of hand-wringing from the minister. So for example, in British Columbia, a Reverend E.D. McLaren was complaining that in BC there's a good deal of theoretical infidelity and a great deal of practical infidelity. Now, infidelity, we tend to think of it today as having to do with sex, right? They're not talking about that. They're talking about infidelity to God, being an infidel, being an atheist, or certainly staying away from the churches. And another comment here was a comment from a Presbyterian missionary in 1899 that in BC, the great mass of the people care nothing for the gospel and treat all church organizations with supreme indifferent and there were it wasn't just ministers who talked about British Columbians being more irreligious some women in particular who came from other parts of Canada were also unhappy for example here's a woman Jessie McQueen she was from Nova Scotia she emigrated to BC in the late 1880s to teach school which was fairly common for women from Eastern Canada because they could make quite a lot more money teaching school in BC because there was a need for school teachers but she wrote lots of letters home to her mom and in this one she complained about the handful of people who gathered for church services in the Nicola Valley where she was teaching she complained that Sundays are so different here and that most people completely ignored any kind of Sabbath observance and just went around doing whatever they wanted to do, which was not fishing or drinking or, yes, whatever they wanted. Certainly not going to church as they would have been in Nova Scotia. Okay, so why then was the situation so different? Um, another complaint that Jessie made in a letter home to her mom gives you some of the reasons why BC was much less religious. Jessie in this other letter complained that she was so sick of the faces of men in her community, which is not surprising because among the white settler population, men in this period dramatically out numbered women. Okay, so way more white men in BC than women among the non-indigenous population. And why? So you've got around 70% of the non-indigenous population was male in 1901 and 1911. Even by 1921, it's around 60%. So men are coming to BC because it's a resource frontier. They're coming to make money, ideally to strike it rich, maybe go home or maybe ultimately bring wives and kids out to BC. And at this time, and I'll talk more about that in a little while, women were much more likely to be religious than men. It was sort of part of what women were supposed to be like, was pious and moral and more religious. So, and for some relig women, religion was also a useful solace. So, women were less likely to be irreligious and the men who came to BC were then often leaving their wives and families behind and many of them as they were doing it were also leaving 
the religion, the church going behind. And there was a saying at that time that men leave God behind when they cross the Rocky Mountains. So, and again, it wasn't true of all of them, but it was not uncommon. And here's a good example of this, Jimmy White, who was a prospector in the Kootenays. He said, he was asked about his church attendance when he was a much older man, but he said, I quit altogether. I never went inside none of the damn churches after I get away from the East. So there's part of the title of my book right there. But certainly Jimmy White's attitudes, and he'd been a prospector in Fort Steele from the late 1880s, was typical of many men. And particularly, he was in the Kootenays, it was particularly true in the mining regions of BC. So the Kootenays around Nelson, Rossland, Sandon, I think most of you, when I gave this talk in Portland, I kind of had to explain more about where that was, but I think you have some sense. So this was an area of hard rock mining, relatively new communities, and particularly high proportions of men, and particularly high proportions of atheists. So I talked about about 2% of the BC population said they had no religion, and so can, it was more like seven and a half percent, which again is really high for this time. So why was it particularly high in the Kootenays? So partly more men, and but there were also other reasons. There was a culture supported by certain atheist journalists who published very anti-religious newspapers. So whether they're catering to irreligious minors or further encouraging it, it sort of goes both ways. But the most famous or infamous, if you were a churchgoer, um, was a guy called Robert Lowry. And he published various newspapers in the Kootenays, particularly one called um, Lowry's Claim, and in his newspapers he had nothing good to say about religion. So as it says here, he liked to compare it to alcohol. Religion, like old whiskey, is not so bad when you only get a taste of it occasionally, but when you fill up upon it until it slobbers out of your mouth at every step, the evil effects of the jag become apparent. Thousands are addicted to it. Religious intoxication in the past has flooded the world with misery. So he's really hostile. He's also hostile to specific ministers who he says are lazy. And he also compares being religious to being mentally ill or insane. And so he's really not a fan. And um, he was... Ultimately, the federal government stopped him publishing, but for six years he was able to publish this. But clearly, as you can imagine, the ministers were doing their best to shut him down. I mean, the fact that he was able to publish for so long in BC and that it wasn't until the federal government shut him down also tells us something, that there was more openness to this kind of talk in BC. So he was critical of the churches and of ministers for various reasons, but one of the reasons was because he said that the churches supported employers and the rich and, quote, kept collar on the neck of the working man. So they were against, he said, that the churches were on the side of the rich. So he opposed the churches partly on class-conscious grounds. But at the same time, he wasn't a socialist. 
But there were a lot of people who were socialists in the Kootenays at that time and in other parts of BC. So particularly in the mining regions, because of the very brutal working conditions in mining and logging, socialist politics were very popular. So for example, the Western Federation of Miners, which was an American union, but it was the main union, was quite socialist in this period. And Although socialists in other parts of Canada talked about themselves as being Christian socialists, socialists in BC did not. They were like, saw themselves as true Marxist socialists who, like most Marxist socialists, are not very keen on religion. So the local Marxist paper, the Western Clarion, had a very clear message for workers about the church. So, in spite of pretense of spirituality, the church is as grossly material as any other human institution. Its taproot runs deep into the plunder that is wrung from the toil and sweat of an enslaved working class. So, pretty clear. Don't go near the churches. They're just about exploitation. So, there are a lot of other comments like that in the Socialist Party's paper, The Western Clarion. And the missionaries were aware of this. They acknowledged that in some mining camps there was no point in even trying to go in and convert men because, quote, rabid socialism prevailed. So many workers were socialists in the Kootenays and also in the mining areas of Vancouver Island, and both of them are electing socialist representatives, socialist MLAs, to the provincial legislature at this time. So socialism... Lowry and his anti-church message and the fact that they were mostly men all helped make it an environment where it was quite acceptable to say you were an atheist. Another reason which had less to do with socialism was that many of these guys were working very hard in mostly male environments and when they had a break they were interested in having fun as they saw it. So they were interested in drinking and gambling. They were not particularly interested in going to church. So most of these towns also had significant red light districts with a number of brothels. So church leaders in BC, and there definitely were church leaders in BC, were appalled by what they saw as total immorality in these mining towns. So they worked hard to get laws passed to limit drinking, to eliminate gambling in the sex trade, and to particularly eliminate various forms of leisure that were going on on Sunday. So to bring in what were called Sabbatarian laws, so closing things down on Sunday. So not surprisingly, this did not make the miners and loggers any happier with the churches that was, were trying to limit their leisure options. They already had other reasons, but so Robert Lowry, remember him, he was very outspoken on this issue. He attacked the churches for trying to pass, quote, stringent, stringent and obnoxious laws in regard to the observance of Sunday. If not put in asylums or made to close their valves by public opinion, the Sunday fiends, that's the church leaders, will stab liberty and freedom to a sickly finish and fill any land with gloom, misery, and curses against one of the last efforts of dying theology to keep the rope around the human race with the absurd argument that oppression and persecution is the way to glorify God. So this was not, so Lowry was leading the charge against these ministers who are trying to bring in Sabbath laws. And he definitely wasn't the only one leading the charge. 
Another person was a man called John Houston. Some of you may have heard of him. He was the editor of the Nelson Tribune at this time. He was also mayor of Nelson, later MLA for the district. He called himself a free thinker, which is another word also for atheist at this time. And he wrote in his paper, the Tribune, that no church organization or member thereof will be permitted to dictate to people who are not members of church organizations as to how they shall spend Sunday or any other day of the week. Nelson will not be a church-ridden town. So, again, pretty clear. Okay, so class and gender issues were important as to why people, and particularly men, were much more likely to say they were irreligious in BC than elsewhere in Canada. So there were also other reasons that I want to talk about now that related to ethnicity or birthplace and to race or racism. Now today we tend to think of Americans as being much more religious than Canadians and it's interesting that that is not how it was seen at the time, at least not in Western Canada. Because many of the Americans coming from the Western US into BC were not particularly religious. Many of them were coming from the California Gold Rush or from more recent Western mining in Idaho and so on. And the ministers again were not happy. And they said, in the mining districts, the influence of immigrants from the United States is, as a rule, disastrous to religion and morals, and this is the preponderance influence in these districts. These men are pronounced champions and devotees of gambling, drinking, and Sabbath desecration. And another missionary complained about the Americans coming to BC from, quote, districts where the Lord's house and the Lord's day were either altogether unknown or very largely neglected. And he complained that they came from the churchless, irreligious communities that have been such a source of anxiety and grief to the earnest-minded Christians of the American Republic. So even then, in the US, there was a division between the atheists and the churchgoers. And a lot of the American atheists were in the West, as is still true, and were coming to BC. Now, you can't always take ministers' complaints at face value, but in this case, the statistics do support their concerns, because Americans in BC were really overrepresented among the people who said they had no religion. So you can see among Ontario-born and British-born, the percentage of the population in BC and the percentage of those who say they are atheists is about the same, but among, this is in BC, okay? So in British Columbia, if you were born in Ontario, the percentage of those born in Ontario and um, who said they were atheists are about the same. Among Americans, it's, le it's about less than 10% who are born in the US who are in BC, but they make up over 30% of those who called themselves atheists or had no religion. So Americans were definitely overrepresented. Another, there's another demographic feature of BC that also limited the church's power. About 10% of the population in BC in this period in the early 20th century was Asian, mostly men, mostly from China. And these people faced very bitter racism. I think some of you may know about this very, very negative history of us. They faced racism efforts to have them excluded from Canada 
efforts to have them excluded from various jobs. Many of them faced daily harassment. Some of them would be beaten up, kicked out of town. There was a lot of opposition from white people in British Columbia towards the Asian population. In Canada, the most extreme example was the Vancouver riot in 1907 when a white mob went through Chinatown and Japantown and destroyed many, many of the stores. So the Asian population at this time came to BC. Most of them were not Christian, and most were not interested in converting to Christianity, despite the church's efforts. Not surprisingly, the churches might have said all about Christian love and humanitarianism and Christian brotherhood. This was not their experience within the Canadian population. So. The churches then are facing many irreligious white settler men and as well as an Asian population that at this time, and remember I'm talking about before 1914, were not interested in converting to Christianity. In the 20s and later, more uh, Chinese people in Canada did convert. So the fact, what's also interesting to me is that the fact that some church leaders wanted to convert Asian immigrants further increased white working class hostility to the churches. So I need to be clear here. On the one hand, the majority of Christian mis missionaries were as racist and hostile to Asian immigrants as other British Columbians were. And some, in fact, spoke at the rally before the 1907 Vancouver riot to encourage anti-Asian racism. So some of the ministers were very, very anti-Asian. However, other ministers, particularly the missionaries who were trying to convert the Chinese, were more sympathetic to the Chinese and spoke up against racism and against Chinese exclusion. And the fact that some ministers were speaking against Chinese exclusion and against racism made them very unpopular with the white working class and with the white population more generally. So, for example, Robert Lowry, who we've seen as he's great on, on atheism, was very much anti-Chinese. So he's against the churches, but he's against the Chinese population because he said they were taking jobs of white workers, which was a particular belief of some white workers. So because some of the churchmen spoke up against Chinese exclusion and supportive of the Chinese, Lowry was very hostile to the churchmen who were doing that. And he said, these ministers, mad with the desire to pound their ironclad creed into the Chinese, would sacrifice all this glorious dominion for the sake of converting the Chinese to Christianity. So he's very hostile then to the Chinese, and therefore that increases his hostility to the ministers who he sees as supporting them. You see something similar with John Houston. Okay, sorry, I should have. So this is about the missionaries who are trying to convert the Chinese. And then um, John Houston, who was also opposed to the churches, but also opposed to the Chinese and spoke out against Christian missionaries' support for the Chinese as, quote, sentimental talk about the brotherhood of man and he goes on to claim that the Chinese were a menace to the health and prosperity of the people of BC. So this was a big 
deal. Some ministers who were trying to get support from the white working class, who were trying to get them to come to church, complained when Central Canadian churches passed resolutions in support of the Chinese and against Chinese exclusion. These ministers in BC said, this is making it harder for us to attract the white working class if you're going to support Chinese rights. So it's complicated. It's not pretty. Okay. So far, I've been talking particularly about irreligion in the Kootenai. So what about the rest of BC? Most other areas were also not particularly religious. So for example, the coal mining areas around Nanaimo and Wellington, there was a lot of support for socialism there. They elected, again, socialist MLAs. They had a major strike in 1913-1914, a major coal mining strike. There wasn't as high levels of atheism as in the Kootenays, probably because there were more families in Nanaimo, so women were less keen on atheism. But at the same time, around Nanaimo, that area had the lowest level of Protestant church participation. So they may be less likely to say they were atheists, but they weren't going to church. And there were some interesting oral history interviews from the region in the 19, done in the 1960s and 70s that suggested that many miners might have had a vague connection to Christianity, but they hardly ever attended church. So, for example, as one former miner noted, they didn't go much on religion, but I think most of the miners were God-fearing. They worked hard and they drank beer and they swore and they did things any miner would do, but they were basically a good, hard-working, clean-minded people. But they didn't go to church. Okay. <laughs> so, Vancouver. Now, in some areas of the city in this period, more middle class or married, settled working class areas, like Mount Pleasant at that time, many people did go to church. However, in lower income areas, particularly Gastown, which was very much a low income area at that time, home to many transient single male workers. In 1901, 8.8% .8 of the population called themselves atheists or having no religion. So this is the highest proportion of no religion in Vancouver, the highest proportion in the province, and the proportion of people who said they had no religion in Gastown was 50 times higher than the Canadian average. So it's much more acceptable there. Now, some of these transient men in Gastown were probably just indifferent to the churches and just didn't give a damn. Others were active, what we would call secularists or even what you would call humanists today. Um, and many of them probably attended the secularist rationalist lectures that were offered in Vancouver in 1914. So in April, until well into the fall, this guy, Sam Atkinson, who is a former minister and who is a member of the executive of the Pacific Coast Rationalist Association, apparently addressed the largest rationalist audience in Canada every Sunday evening in Vancouver's Globe Theatre. So Atkinson also lectured in the U.S., particularly up and down the West Coast. So as did other lecturers in the Pacific Coast Rationalist Association. So it's an American and Canadian organization. And it's also linked to national rationalist organizations. So again, it, the humanists didn't start, in my understanding, till after the Second World War. But the rationalists, the secularists, were earlier versions of this kind of organization. And 
Atkinson also briefly published a newspaper called the Vancouver Rationalist just in 1914 and in the Vancouver Rationalist which is available online if anyone's interested he challenged Christianity and the churches on again the basis of rational thought and he has also espoused the rights of women he pushed for the rights of women and for a more cooperative vision of society while at the same time still being somewhat racist to various other groups, although not as much as Lowry. Okay, what about Victoria? How irreligious was Victoria? In 1909, the local paper, the Victoria Colonist, did a survey of church attendance and found that the results were not impressive. Fewer than 6,000 out of 40,000 people in Victoria regularly attended church and the reporter asked one minister why so few people were attending church. He said that the residents of Victoria prefer working in their gardens, doing home repairs, playing sports or going on excursions rather than attending church, which is still true, but okay. <laughs> okay. So, so far I've been talking either in general terms about irreligion or focusing mostly on men. So. Before I finish, I want to talk briefly about women and where they fit in here. Now, at this time, most BC women did not define themselves as irreligious unless they were in a relationship, either wives or daughters, of irreligious men. So in 1901, 40% of married men who said they had no religion, their wives also, at least to the census taker, said they had no religion. And whether the wives actually said to the census taker they had no religion or their husbands said it for them, I don't know. But in 54% of cases when married men had no religion, their wives still define themselves as Christians. And I also found, as I talk about more in the book, some married women who de are defined as irreligious when they're married, when after their husbands die, like in the next census 10 years later, you find that they now call themselves Methodists or Anglicans or whatever again. So it suggests, at least in some cases, what their true feelings may have been. So Christianity and the churches were important to most women in central Canada. And this didn't seem to change for most women at this time when they crossed the Rocky Mountains. So women who ended up in isolated areas of BC with no churches, no religious options were not pleased. And here's a woman, Annie McQueen Gordon. She's the sister of Jessie McQueen, who I talked about earlier, who was in the Nicola Valley. Annie ended up in Tobacco Plains, which at that time was an isolated area near the Montana border. And she complained in a letter to her mother in 1899 that there's no church, no Sunday school, nothing of any interest going on here. So she's, the one thing she mentioned was there was a hotel nearby where lots of local men went to drink, but that did not make things any better for her. So churches then were important to many BC women. I did some statistical work on church membership in certain BC towns, and I found something quite interesting. Certainly women at this time were the majority of church members in churches all across Canada. But in these BC towns, women might have been only a third or less of the population, but they were still the majority of church members in those communities, even if they were only a third of the whole population. So. 
white settler women, even when they were a minority, churches and the women's groups associated them were important to them. They provided constellations of familiar faith, community, female sociability, like they let them hang out with other women in communities where it was mostly men, and they also reinforced their respectability in places far from home. And reinforcing their respectability was particularly important in some of these BC towns. Remember, as I mentioned, there were large red light districts, many sex trade workers in the community, so if you want to show how respectable you are, going to church is part of that. And it was pretty clear that the sex trade workers were not welcome in the churches. Some of the sex trade workers had explicitly rejected the churches that attacked them as immoral and as fallen women. And perhaps because of this, to the extent that I could figure this out, when you look on the census, sex trade workers were more likely to define themselves as atheists or free thinkers than most women but the majority of them still identified with a particular Christian denomination. And social workers said, although they wouldn't go to the churches, sometimes they would go to outdoor Salvation Army um, meetings where they would, the singing would attract them and they wouldn't have to feel looked down on the way they would in churches. So very few white settler women independently defined themselves as atheists or as irreligious, but what was more common in BC was that women, some women left the churches for new metaphysical religions, which were spiritualism, theosophy, and Christian science. Spiritualism, I'm not sure, some of you may know, it was the belief, it still exists, that people could communicate with spirits of the dead. It was very popular in 19th and early 20th century Canada. So the idea of holding seances and communicating with the spirits. Hannah Maynard, who was a well-known photographer in early Victoria, joined the spiritualists after the death of her daughter and then the death of another daughter. And she often incorporated ghostly figures in her photographs, as you can see here. And many other women were also active in these groups. And you can see this in a spiritualist picnic in Cordova Bay in Victoria. There were men and also women. And some of the women only dabbled in spiritualism, like Emily Carr stayed with her church, but there's a fairly famous um, piece of writing by her where she talks about going to a seance, but she still remained Christian officially. Other spiritualists left their churches and defined themselves just as spiritualists. Others became spiritualists but defined themselves as atheists or free thinkers. So there was also a link between atheism and spiritualism and other New Age religions at this time. So, and what's also interesting to me is people, it was easier to define yourself as an atheist in BC at this time. It was also easier to define yourself as a spiritualist, a theosophist, or a Christian science. So the New Age religions of the time were way overrepresented in BC. So, for example, BC in 1911-1921 made up 5% of the population, but over 20% of Canadian spiritualists and Christian scientists were in BC, over 35% of theosophists, and I'll tell you about what theosophists were if you want later. But anyway, so there all these New Age religions are overrepresented in British Columbia, as was atheism. Okay, so just to conclude, 
In the rest of Canada in the early 20th century, Christianity remained very dominant. Even if people didn't go to church regularly, you were still saw yourself as a Christian. But this was less true in BC. So for many white middle class families in BC, many women of all classes, religion and the churches remained important. Church involvement was higher in BC than it is today. But church leaders at that time in BC were challenged by irreligion and non-Christian religions from a number of directions. The most dramatic challenge was from socialist atheist or drinking and gambling white working class guys who were not interested in Christianity. The churches were also challenged by the Asian immigrants, also mostly male, who came with their own religions and were not interested in being converted to a Christianity that was clearly associated with the racism, white, racist white culture they found themselves in. Um, indigenous people who I haven't talked about here, but you can ask more questions, were mostly converted to Christianity by this time, but most of them were also keeping a kind of syncretic religion that was partly Christian, but also maintained some indigenous roots. So that also didn't make the churches happy. And they also, the churches were challenged by women and men who embraced these alternative new age religions, spiritualism, Christian science, in much greater proportions than other Canadians. So today, as we know, BC is much less Christian, much more open to alternative spiritualities than the rest of Canada. So I hope you've seen today that the roots of many of these differences can be found in our early history, a history of gender, class, race, and racism that is not always a pretty picture, but certainly is important for us to understand. Thank you.